0: spread hope, and inspire compassion toward those hurting. Lastly, by providing my heart with ears and this platform, grievers have the opportunity to share their wisdom and stories of loss and resiliency. How about we talk about grief like we talk about the weather? Let's get started. This episode is sponsored by Do Grief Differently, my 12-week in-person or online program, That helps grievers who have suffered any type of loss to feel better. In Do Grief Differently, you learn new tools, education, and a method you can utilize the rest of your life. In this program, and with my guidance, you remove the pain of grief. The sadness will always be there because even in complicated relationships, we love. But it's the pain of grief that keeps us stuck. Are you ready to do grief differently? Check out my website www.theunleashedheart.com to learn more. Thank you for tuning in to Grieving Voices. Today, my guest is Susanna morell She is a master level clinician and grief expert who transformed her heartache into a curriculum for children to learn how to process their grief and loss in a unique and healthy way. Her education and experience has molded her into a patient, empathetic, and nurturing grief counselor. She herself has been affected with how heartache, grief, and loss can create internal conflicts and multiple stressors. As a working professional in her field, she has been given the opportunity to become a certified grief recovery specialist through the grief recovery Institute. Her passion lies with supporting grievers who allow themselves to become oriented with the effects of grief and loss so they can return to their routines and move forward. Thank you so much for being here. No, thank you for having me. I'm excited to highlight Shielding Hearts as a nonprofit for the podcast because I feel it's near and dear to my heart, especially. I'm a child griever. My dad passed away when I was eight, and there weren't resources or services in the late 80s for me or other children for that matter. I didn't know anybody else who had experienced. That so I felt very alone and very isolated, and people truthfully, staff and friends didn't know how to to be around me or to support me. And so, I'm really excited to learn more about Shielding Hearts. I was reading through your paperwork because we are both certified grief recovery specialists through the institute, which is another reason why I was excited to highlight. Your organization, because you have that background, but also furthermore, you have that clinical psychology background as well, and so they bring you bring another element to that work. And so, let's start with your story, though, in how this really came to be for you.
1: So, in 2017, um, it had already been a year after I lost my father, and I was my father's caregiver. So I think that was the hardest thing to see your hero become a weak, and then eventually, you know, uh, to lose him. That was very, very difficult within itself. And I was the I'm the youngest child, so being his baby, it was very, very difficult. So you're trying to get your footing and trying to get back into mainstream of life, and you just your heart is so heavy. And that's when I found the grief recovery method. And it helped me to be able to really process and understand how the loss is affecting me since I had also just lost my mom two years before. So you, I'm losing my two constants in my life who had been, you know, my compass, help had been co-parents. Uh, I was a single mom at the age of 19. So these two individuals that just were just everything to me, it was very, very difficult. But as I mentioned, in 2017, I lost my nephew to suicide. And that really broke my heart on on so many levels. So I was determined to put pen to paper and to say, these children are hurting, they're suffering in silence. I know that we have amazing counselors, we have a lot of support and resources, but what if the parents can't get them to those resources? So I channeled that hurt and and frustration and anger. And I said, I don't want anybody to ever have to be on the receiving end of that phone call. You know, he was only 17. And just for him to believe that that was his only out, it's just I don't I know that other children are feeling this way. So I created these modules to where children are able to come in, ages six to seventeen, they get identified because first a caregiver, a guardian, um, or you know a parent will come to the campus and ask the counselor, "Do you have any support here at school?" Um, and so I'm very proud that now the district that I am in can say we actually do. We have a grief expert that works with the children, and this is my fifth year being in the district. So. It goes to show you that it has been, the outcomes have been amazing. And uh, the way that we set it up, you know, uh, from the the daytime, it's so much easier to be able to have access to the children because they're there already on the campuses. So what I basically do is, for example, I'm going to go over what is really common that is said to children that uh, affects them. So any age range, but specifically with the children I work with, When they are asked, are you okay, this really annoys them and makes them angry because they're seeking for an understanding of what just happened to them. They've had a huge disruption in their life when they lose a a mom, their dad, as you mentioned yourself. So you feel very alone, isolated, your friends can't understand. And if all an adult, a teacher, a counselor, is, is offering friends of the family, other family members, are you okay? It kind of makes them feel like they're being kicked while they're down. Because what they want to say is, how can I be okay? I just lost somebody very special to me. So I, I explained to them, I know that this, you know, is very hard to hear. But I'm going to go through the rest of the questions. And then at the end, I will share with you what I how I explain to them how they can have these questions to be stopped or statements to be stopped from being said to them because they're not helpful. When they're also told, I'm sorry for your loss, it makes them feel like, what are you sorry for? You weren't responsible for taking my loved one from me. Why do you keep telling me you're sorry for my loss? And it feels like people are taking pity on them and they're they're not wanting to feel that they can't um, cope. So that is a statement that, you know, really doesn't help. The next one is your grandma, grandpa, mom, dad is not a better place, sweetie. They mean no disrespect that this may be a glorious place, but what their heart is desiring and what they are yearning for is for their loved one to be physically here with them. So it's like they're being force fed this idea and their feelings are being minimized when they're told this but they're in a better place. They're not suffering. They're they're not negating that, but they want to feel acknowledged. And so I allow them to be able to understand why that's bothersome to them. The next one is you have to stay strong. Your mom would have wanted you to be strong. Your dad would have wanted you to keep it together. You've got to think about, you know, this, that that's, you know, that's not fair to say that to a child because it is nothing about being strong or weak they are, they are hurting. They are going through an array of emotions. They tell me it's like this vortex that they are just out of their body. And, and they just, they say it feels horrible. I said, I, and the, everybody always asks me, so what should we say to them? I, I always say, we don't know exactly how this has affected them because grief affects everybody differently. So try just Starting the conversation with, I couldn't even imagine, you know, how you're feeling. Would you like to talk about it? I'm here for you. That's so much healthier than these statements. The one that hurts the most is when they're told, you have to accept that your mom is gone. You have to accept, you have to move on. What if they're not ready to? You know, so I tell them, you will never hear that from Miss Susanna. My goal is that I'm going to teach you to adjust and adapt to the huge loss that you have experienced and to be able to understand that. So just in that first session, I tell them, you don't like these statements. You don't like being asked these questions. No, I don't. Then guess what? Advocate for yourself. You have a voice for a reason. And you need to tell your aunt that the next time you're in passing with her and she asks you, are you okay? For example, you need to tell her, you know, auntie, please don't say this to me. It does not help. Because children, they're they're coming from a perspective that you're the adults, you know better. And so surely you will not say this to me every time you see me. And I tell them, this is what you think, but they don't know what's going to help you and what's not going to work for you. So this is when you have to advocate for yourself and say, please don't say this to me. And it changes the dynamic. And then the person knows the last thing I'd ever want to do is hurt you. Or, or make you feel sad or bring up the, the thought of the loss and maybe you weren't even thinking about it. So then it helps them to be able to understand that and to get away from that. With my high schoolers, what I do is I tell them, how frustrating is it that you go to the dictionary and you look up grief and it says deep sorrow due to a loss? I said, what are you supposed to do with that? It's so insensitive. It doesn't give you any guidance. It just helps you to, to validate that your heart is broken into a million pieces. So I, I in the first session, have them confront what grief is, and they get to write out their own definition of it. And we throw out words like grief to them is feeling misunderstood. They can't breathe. They're in a lot of pain. They're frustrated. They're losing hope. Loss of trust, depression, anger, anxiety, sad, guilt, shame, no energy, and stuck. So that's the the definition that they formulate. And I can't imagine what they've been doing with these feelings before they came to the sessions. They've been walking around with this. And this is why they've been reactive. And, and they love how I address that. Before you came to grief counseling, not your finest moment, you've identified a lot of these feelings and how you can see how they could be hurtful to you and your relationships. So you've been sabotaging yourself. I said, so moving forward. Now, you know that this is what's caused that reactivity with you cussing, with you sabotaging your grades, with you losing interest in your after school activities, baseball, football, cheerleading, you know, the debate club, anything. Now, you know that that reactivity has taken over your life. And, and it's basically speaking for you. Grief has been speaking for you because that's not who you are. And they'll cry with me and they're like, no, that's not who I am. I'm not a rude person. I'm not somebody who loses you know, uh, you know, know, sight of what they need to be saying in the moment and it overreacts. That's not who I am. I said, no, oh, but grief has driven you to this. And you almost feel like you look in the mirror and you don't even know who you are anymore. So it's being able to let them know, I know you feel like you're at a, a, you know, the edge of the cliff and you're like, that's it. I don't want to live like this. I'm ready to jump. And I, I would like to believe, and the feedback that they've given me is that they feel like I'm talking them away from the cliff and they eventually are so far from it when we're done with our sessions that they're like, I can't even believe I was once there. And I don't ever want to get back to those feelings because they get to process with me week to week for six, sometimes eight weeks. Um, and it's consistency and they're so proud of themselves that they're having this opportunity for self care and to recover. And then they evolve and they're so much healthier now feeling equipped and now knowing what to do so that they don't fall into, you know, um, into the grips of grief moving forward.
0: One thing I want to come back to, circle back to a little bit is, first of all, people who who are listening, adults who experienced grief or trauma as a child probably are identifying with everything you just said and are probably seeing those same things manifest in their life as an adult. That was my story. I'm sure for many grievers, that is the case for child grievers because you grow up with it. And unless you learn these tools and gain new knowledge and how to respond to it, you're going to continue those behaviors into adulthood. You and I both know this, right? Yes. One thing I want to highlight, though, is that um, and something that's been on the forefront of my mind lately is that we do all there's like and as a grief recovery specialist, you know, this, too, is that we all respond to grief similarly not the same but similarly like we have these stirbs, the short term energy relieving behaviors these things resort to to feel better for a short period of time or we might have angry outbursts you know we implode or we explode we all do these things some of us do one or the other or a combination of different ones but we all tend to respond to grief similarly the reason why i would just want to highlight we respond differently to our loss is because the relationship is unique so it's the relationship that we're responding to as in in effect of that loss right so you can have two children who had the same loss but they're responding differently from the relationship maybe one felt really loved and the other one felt like they were the you know discarded or not cared for as much, or maybe they weren't the favorite, you know, some siblings can feel that way. And if they lost their father or mother, they're experiencing their grief in response to the relationship. So I just wanted to highlight that uh, for those listening, Um, why you may have two children or kids in the classroom who've had a similar loss, but are responding differently, might be exhibiting those same behaviors, but yet Maybe one's angry and maybe one's like, I, I really internalized it. And I think your personality has a lot to do with that too. Um, I was very much an introvert. I am an introvert. And so I, I was, I didn't have the angry outburst, but I was tardy a lot. Fatigue was huge for me as a child, you know, having accidents, things like that. I was also a child of sexual trauma after my dad passed away so there was a lot going on in my life as a child so i just wanted to circle back to that for to clarify that but i love what you've created because it is so needed desperately needed so if a, someone is listening who oh gosh this sounds so cool i want to bring this to my school or i want my school to know about this does it have to be somebody who is a trained school counselor Or, you know, someone with a clinical degree, psychologist who does work with the children in the school district to provide this program?
1: No, I've been very successful in uh, training parents. So they can do the online training with me and I go through the workbook with them. So the goal is to, you know, improve the dialogue with children the, the grief dialogue with them. And so, of course, the preference is that within the schools, you'd have the counselors train. And I've had a few train with me. And I love the, you know, how they feel that they have more insight. They feel like they're uh, having a better understanding of the perspective of the grieving child after my training. So that's huge. That's key to be able to say, I feel like I can support this child. As to where you and I growing up, it, it was probably like, you know, you could tell. Tell the, the adult was uncomfortable because they didn't know what to say, you know? Um, and so, <laughs> kind of like the blind leading the blind, you know, and what that needs to stop, we need to be able to, you know, be on the, on the forefront and to be able to say, like, we know that you have this huge emotional wound and we want to help you heal. And we want to return peace and tranquility so that you feel composed and get back to your life. So, you know, anybody who is works with children, whether that be a teacher, administrators, the counselors, you know, the crisis aides, just anybody in general that, you know, I shoot for the stars. And that was my goal that, you know, people would catch on to this and say, you know, wow, in these modules, I mean, they're they're so unique. They're so different. It's a lot of play therapy. It's working with Play-Doh. It's working with Legos. You know, it's doing all these exercises. But while the child is engaging in the activity, you're being able to help them connect. To, this is why we did this activity to help you understand how to minimize anger, how to minimize hurt, how to minimize disappointment, how to minimize everything that you've been going through. And they feel that relief, like, "Oh, what you taught me today is something I can actually do." Because they have all this potential, but they're buried underneath all their potential when they're grieving because they don't even know right from left. So when you start, you know, being able to introduce this to them, and they start feeling like they're better informed. And that this is working for them, that they're just, they're eager. Children are so eager to learn and they, they you know, there's, they desire this guidance so that they can navigate out of this
0: situation. How did this become a nonprofit? Because I know that there might be people listening that would like to start something similar or have something burning within them that they would like to bring to the forefront.
1: So, um, as my individual office, you know, when you're calling a school or you're calling an agency or you're calling just anybody in the community and you say, I'm calling from Susanna Morrell Counseling Services, this is what I've done, this is how I'd like to help. And you don't get many phone calls back because they're like, I don't know who this person is, right? So everybody kept saying, You may want to consider becoming a nonprofit. I mean, you have your curriculum, you have great outcomes, this does work. And so this This way, you'd be able to maybe reach more masses. And it's just something about being an entity that's very different than just being a person. And I said, okay. The, the, I know I wouldn't know the first place to start. Um, I was very fortunate to have great mentors and to be able to say, okay, this is how you license your curriculum. This is how you get the paperwork established, get lawyers involved. You start feeling very overwhelmed, but you know, you've got that passion and you're, you're dedicated to this. And you're like, if this is what I've got to do to be able to support children, that's fine. I'll, I'll do it. And so it got established and it's very exciting when you do receive, you know, um, being aware or receive getting your letter saying you are now, you know, a, a 501c3 and you're just, just so excited because you're like, I'm off to the races. And clearly, you know, this will be the answer that districts have been looking for and agencies and, and community support and it, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> you just have to have a lot of patience. Um, you have to just let People know you're out there posting on social media, um, you know, being able to be on podcasts and being able to just people to know what you're doing so they have a better understanding. Um, I post videos of some of the activities that have been done when I've gone to go speak to uh, campuses. Um, And so it's really, really hard to, when I do a presentation to show how this works because I can't bring a child in and have them share their story due to confidentiality. So I can show... The, the metrics and the goals that we've achieved and that, you know, the outcomes and how it's evidence-based. But that's where it gets so frustrating, Victoria, because people are like, well, how do we know this really works? Well, I'm showing you start to finish. I can bring in case studies and show you how the child entered telling me that they're not sleeping, their grades are are, you know, not what they should be. They've lost interest in everything. You're talking about the fatigueness, you know, where they're sad. Um, They can't talk about their feelings. They're not, you know, they answer this questionnaire. And when out of these 10 questions, they have all of these, you know, areas of their life that are being negatively impacted by grief. And they almost answer yes to everything. And then when they exit, they're giving feedback saying, yes, I have a better understanding of my feelings. Yes, I can talk about my feelings now. Yes, I I feel like I have relief. Yes, I have a better understanding of grief and I'm better informed. You know, yes, I'm eating better. Yes, I'm back to my activities. And then they share you know, in their own words can you please write us, you know, a sentence or two about your experience? And they say I learned how not to hate the world. Uh, I loved this program. I learned that, you know, I was being misunderstood. Now I know how to be able to say how the grief affected me personally. Um, I, I feel Feel that I can, you know, be a support for my family. Now I can help them to understand how we can improve the communication change dialogue. So when you get that back, you, you would hope that, you know, I'd be doing more than just one district, but once again, just to be patient, because it does have the potential, it does work. And so that's where I'm at right now. So 2022 now starting during a pandemic, you know, that was scary, um, but the support is there. Recently, I was very fortunate to go into a family shelter. I approached the executive director at a community meeting and I said, I know you do, you have a great program for rehabilitating the parents and for them to get back on their feet. What are you doing for the children while mom and dad are going and learning job seeking skills and financial literacy and, you know, being able to work on themselves? What are you doing for the children? And they were like, well, you know, we have someone who babysits them and they watch movies and they play. And I said, you don't think the child would like to process what it has been like to be, you know, relocated overnight, be sleeping in a car, now be in a shelter, be in a program. And she's like, we never thought about that. I said, oh, I'm sure their heart has a lot of things to say about this. You know, it's a lot of changes. I mean, they can't tell their friends where they're at. I mean, so then um, I have been working with this family shelter for a year and a half now, and they have seen significant improvement. The children come in, you know, reactive. They're rude. They're they're feeling just very uncomfortable. They're you know, nitpicking at everything. That they don't like anything. Once they go through my program, they're just like they're better adjusted. Um, they trust the process, and most importantly, I remind them that at this current time, I know this isn't the ideal environment. This isn't your home, but you're safe. And at the end of the day, that's more important than anything. And you're surrounded by a lot of support and great volunteers. And so being able, the goal is for Shielding Hearts to be able to do more of that work because, you know, the the um, the shelter, they, they don't have the funding to bring in someone to pay them, you know, what they could. So through the donations that we have, we're able to come in and we're able to give them, you know, a, a reduced rate to offer this support.
0: That's amazing. And so for those listening too, where where is Shielding Hearts based out of?
1: Kima, Texas.
0: So right now it's just in Texas, but you're looking to explore. Oh, absolutely. So I know as a grief recovery specialist, you know, we, the grief recovery Institute has the program helping children with loss and with the hearts matter project, the helping children with loss program is the foundation of that. And then you have incorporated other things that you've gotten from your training. Is that accurate? Correct.
1: Yes. And things that I created. Awesome. Um, when okay. I yeah, so when I was in grad school, I created a therapeutic game that um, would help children be able to feel that they could speak from in a fun way, take on like uh, speak through like a character that they they really admired. So that in this moment, since you're Iron Man, for example, and we'd go around the board of the game that I invented and they'd be able to speak. Well, as Iron Man, this is what uh, I think about divorce. And as Iron Man, this is what, what has hurt Iron Man and this and that. And so and then once and then we're able to say so now eventually in the game, we would put Iron Man aside and we would allow the child to say what that was like for them to be able to, you know, hear that narrative and see that journey through Iron Man's eyes, but now be able to feel comfortable enough to take the lead.
0: That's brilliant. And actually, because, you know, children are imaginative, of course, but mm-hmm. I I can remember wanting to be anywhere else, but where I was and to be anyone else, but who I was. And so to role play I think that's brilliant. That's a brilliant idea, and you know, I think too. Like, what? What are your? I don't know why I thought of this, but like with children with imaginary friends, do you think that that is an aspect of their subconscious to, or a way for that they sometimes that children sometimes cope with stressors in their life of. Maybe that's them role playing with an imaginary friend. Like, you know, it's almost as if, like, they can't, they don't feel like they can communicate with the adult in their life, right? So they have this imaginary friend that they talk to. And do you, I don't know, do you, have you found that in your work that that's sometimes a way a child is coping with stress? Absolutely. It's so
1: therapeutic for them, it works for them. The adult may become alarmed because they're like, why are they talking? What, what, who are they talking to? What are they doing? And I always like to let parents know because I did write a book. That's how, you know, I wrote a book and then I transformed the book into a parent guide. And I stress in the parent guide, uh, mom, dad, caregiver, guardian, do not become alarmed. This is therapeutic. Because at the end of the day, who is the child hurting by having their imaginary friend? They're not hurting anybody. They're in their safe space.
0: You know, it's not to say that they aren't seeing spirit, and we aren't going to go there no, for this podcast. No. <laughs> but I fully believe that that is, you know, children are unfiltered, right? So they're more likely to see spirit, and that's what I believe anyway. But I love that you have written a book, and that's what kind of created the curriculum. And so, can you share a little bit about what that process was like for you.
1: Yes. Um, you know, I had always wanted to put, you know, you have all these years of experience. I've been in so many um, situations where I was over the crisis situations for children and families, and so you have all this knowledge, and you want to be able to break this down to help parents because they do—they feel embarrassed or they feel like, why don't I know? Why don't, because you're not taught this in school, you know. And so I, I want—I wrote the book from the perspective of like being able to feel like you have some life skills, like you're—you feel more comfortable with and to be able to engage with your child and to be able to speak to them through care. And concern because when children tell me, my mom yells at me, she gets really angry at me when I'm crying. And I, I don't understand that, Miss Susanna. And I, I help the child understand, mom is, she is sad for you. She feels frustrated that she can't take this hurt from you. And I wish she would just tell you that and instead of allowing herself to be reactive and to be yelling at you, but that's really what's going on. I said, but rest assured, mom is reading my parent guide while you are here in the sessions with me and you're going to see improvement because if, if I'm helping you to better understand you know, this grief process, I need mom to be on board to have a better understanding of how it's affecting you. So they're collaboratively, you know, I wish I could have sessions with the parents too, but all the feedback from the parent guide is, oh my gosh, that was that was written and I never I could see what I was guilty of. And I love how it was broken down of what not to do and to be able to feel like I have the support and written from a from a standpoint of just being very, you know, uh, yeah, therapeutic techniques in there, but not feeling like I needed to have a degree to understand this content, you know, just very, uh, just elementary, just, you know, just something to where if I, you know, pay attention to the words that are written here, it's to where the same thing of what I give to the children I'm giving to the parents. Like, oh, I can do that. I love that suggestion. I will apply that. And then they start to see the difference. So that's what, um, what really, uh, drove me to be able to create that. And what is the book called?
0: It's a hearts matter project as well. Hearts matter, Patrick. Okay, Mm -hmm. perfect. And I'll put a link in the show notes to that. Thank you. So what is one tip that you would give someone listening, whether it is a teacher, a counselor, uh, a child, perhaps, maybe children, teens are listening to this, or a parent? Maybe your advice is different based on each. I'm not sure. (laughs)
1: Well, just in general, you know, um, I appreciate when someone wants to be empathetic, that wants to take that extra step to be able to be a part of that support system for a griever. And I just always say you don't have to say anything. Sometimes you don't have to be, you know, the expert in this and just be honest with the child or, you know, uh, with your coworker, or with anybody and just say, you know, I'm going to be very honest. I, 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 don't know what to say. I don't know what to do, but I care about you. And, as a human being, I can see you're hurting. So is there anything that I can do to be able to help uh, alleviate that hurt? Like, are you overwhelmed here at work? Are you this? Are you that? We can come together as, you know, um, co-workers and we can rally behind you and I don't we don't want you to feel alone and we can offer the safety net so to I I encourage anybody to have that conversation especially with children you know they're not going to come and say to an adult because they don't want to feel that they're disrespecting them they appreciate everything that their parents are doing for them but if you're going to be nagging at them because they haven't taken the trash out three days after they buried someone that was very important to them, you know, to pick and choose your battles. You know, they're not deliberately trying to disobey you or it's not that they forgot what their chores are. It's just that right now that's not really a priority. So, you know, I would just really ask them to just be a little bit more sensitive to the situation. I'm not saying that this excuse for a child to be running away, crashing the car, stealing money, cussing. No, it does, does not excuse that behavior but if we can be more sensitive and if we can address you know those behaviors with I know that this cannot be this had to be very difficult for you and this is probably why you're thinking that this is the only thing your only option for you and I don't want you to think that because you're better than that you're smarter than that and what what can we do to be able to get you to eliminate those bad behaviors and so just to be able to let them know you know we we care about you too much to see you to sabotage yourself cuz that's not the answer and if you continue with this behavior at 8 10 12 17 into your 20s and 30s you know uh, it it's such a you know it sounds like a cliche but it's the truth hurt people hurt people
0: i think and the so, biggest yeah. i think the biggest takeaway in what you just said is we can sum it up in a nutshell for people listening is that for parents, like you said, hurt people hurt people, but learn the, learn how to be a safe person, a heart with ears for the child in your life. And secondly, that those behaviors are a symptom. They're a symptom. And so if you can learn to be a safe person and learn the tools, you might discover and uncover really what's at the root of those symptoms of behavior. So what were you doing? I'm curious when, at the time when you experienced your losses and the loss of your nephew, were you on a different path and this like totally like those losses just changed the trajectory of your life?
1: No, in 2015, um, when the court appointed me, my father's guardian, um, I said, Uh, I know this is going to be really hard. I don't know how long I'm going to have him for um, because he is deteriorating. Um, They gave him three months and under my care, he um, was with me 11 months. So I, I feel very honored that I was able to do that. But I was convinced and him and I had lots of conversations and he just told me that, I had so much passion. I was such a great caregiver. Um, I wanted to make changes and I needed to believe in myself and I needed to get out there and, and do it. And I told him taking a big risk. And he said, it's not about risk. It's about, you know, you, what you believe in, you believe in that you can make a change, then do it. I know you will succeed. I have no doubt that you will create something beautiful." And so when I lost him, I really said, you know, this is the best way that I can honor them for supporting me, for believing in me, um, for, you know, just never allowing me to let any type of hurt or disappointment uh, derail me from who I was destined to be. And I really feel like I'm serving a purpose. And it's so unfortunate that you have to go through so many losses to discover that but I feel so blessed. I feel like I'm living my best life. And when I can turn these children's lives around, it's just indescribable
0: to be able to be a part of that. I just got goosebumps. It's a beautiful, beautiful story and beautiful share. Would you like to share about your nephew, Lewis?
1: Absolutely.
0: Lewis was um, a young man
1: that, um, unfortunately, he struggled being bipolar. And, you know, within our mental health field, uh, I just I wish there was more of a follow through. I know they get assigned a caseworker and they have their psychiatrist and they're good. But I really wish that there was um, more support for family when they don't understand the mental illness and so he i just feel like he got lost in the cracks and he tried so much to get bounced back and and it got harder and harder and um you know my brother uh, has never been a responsible father and he was just he made fun of the disease and he made him feel you know demeaned and and worthless and And, um, I, I could come in and visit and and I could, you know, pour so much love and, and remind him that, you know, because trust I'm in the, I'm in the field, I'm trained in this trust that you will be okay. You'll be able to cope. But, you know, I lived six hours away, so, you know, I could only, you know, bring that to his life so often. And so, um, but he would walk into a room and he's just, he was shy. He was so playful, but his smile was just, it was just infectious and so sweet. He had a beautiful heart. And so, you know, one can only think that, you know, what, who he could have been, what he, he wanted to study art. He was looking into art schools. And so, um, yeah, we will never know. And that's so unfortunate. But just a beautiful spirit, and I'm sure he's so proud of me. He's so proud of me because I did. I did have for a moment to think. You know, you, you're angry, and you feel like you know. Did did the mental health field let him down? Did did um did 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 we not show up? Did we not do this? And you and through this work, and I help uh, children and adults that I see in my office when they lose their partners to suicide. I help them to understand that at the end of the day, it breaks our heart, but this is the choice that our loved one made. And it's not for us to take
0: personally. Thank you for sharing. Welcome. And I want to, there is an episode I had on my podcast, a gentleman named Bob Krulish, and he struggled with bipolar for well over 20 years before he was actually diagnosed. And he, really educated me on bipolar, and he said that they call it the illness of loss because it is so often undiagnosed. But the one thing that he shared with me that blew my mind really is when people go to a physician for support right when you when you're feeling down and you're feeling depressed you don't go to the doctor when you're feeling amazing right you go to the doctor when you're feeling like something's wrong or you're feeling down or you're sad or you know you, you want to feel better right that's when you go and as as a physician if they're not doing the proper screening for mental illness including bipolar disorder If they prescribe somebody who is depressed an antidepressant when in fact they have bipolar and they do not also prescribe a mood stabilizer, that essentially sends someone with bipolar into mania. Someone with bipolar has to be on a mood stabilizer and an antidepressant. And that one decision of a physician causes harm. He told me that, and I have never forgotten it. And I've shared it with anybody who's spoken to me about bipolar or anyone who has suspected that someone they love has bipolar. It is so important to be evaluated by someone who is trained in mental illness. And it just blows my mind that a regular physician, family physician is able to even screen for that. Or do so in a way that's not, they're not trained to screen for that, right? They're not given the proper tools and the training to actually screen for that. Because I think it's great that people have access to a physician who can screen for that. But if they're not properly trained or they're not doing that, they can do more harm. And someone will be in mania until they get proper treatment. And it just blew my mind. So if that's an adult going through that, imagine now a teenager who's still, whose mind and brain is still developing at a rapid pace and isn't fully developed, right? Their frontal lobes are not fully developed until they're like 20, 25. So it's educate yourself if you are suspecting mental illness of any kind so that you can be an advocate for your child.
1: Yeah, because I can't imagine, you know, if there's not this thorough understanding you know, being able that the child, you know, my nephew trusted these professionals, but they were always changing things. They were always this, they were always just wanting to admit him to psych units, this, that, I mean, a child starts thinking like you're, you're, I'm like an experiment. I'm Mm -hmm. a human being. And so why can't we be able to get to the root or be able to give me the relief that I so desire instead of just, you know, well, that doesn't work. Now let's revalue. That doesn't work. And so now you're this and, you know, you're getting in trouble at school and you're doing this and you're doing that. Now we're going to send you to the psych ward. And it's just like this constant, you know, revolving door. And I can see how it can just exhaust somebody. And then you go into mania and you just lose all hope. And it's just, it's a recipe for disaster. And it's, it's unfortunate that the children, that children have to, you know, suffer in this manner.
0: And imagine the weight of someone as an adult going through that. I just cannot even imagine a teenager, how isolating that feels. Um, I'm going to link to Bob's uh, link episode in the show notes too, for anyone who is interested in learning more about um, bipolar disorder. So thank you for, for sharing about that. So we could talk about that. Cause I think it's very important. How did you come up with the name?
1: Oh, thank you for asking. So the Hearts Matter Project curriculum, I came up with that name because I want the children to know that their hearts do matter. Their hearts are angered by so many feelings and they feel stuck. And I want them to know that they do exist. They are one individual. Their names may be very common, but the child that I have in front of me is one and only. And because they exist, I want them to exist in a positive way instead of a negative way. And that's why it's called the Hearts Matter Project. Now, the logo for Shielding Hearts is actually a picture of me as a little girl. I was in a cute dress and I thought, how wonderful to be able to connect that image that that little girl, as I've since since I can remember, I was always very nurturing, very caring, very loving, very sweet. And here she is as this adult you know, doing this work. And so I just love how it came full circle. And they were when they were like, well, you got to find a logo, but nothing to where you would get copyrighted infringement or, you know, the legalities. And I said, I have the perfect logo. I have this picture of and I can just, you know, I would love to just jump into that picture and be that little girl again, because uh, she hadn't uh, experienced the dysfunction, the heartache, hurt, you know, everything. Um and so it just to be able to let her know that here, that little girl is now an adult and she is healed and she, and look at what we've evolved
0: to. I love that. Had you experienced loss and grief as a child?
1: Oh, yes. My goodness.
0: Yes. Um,
1: probably the most um, hurtful one is loss of myself, you know, um, having sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. And um, so not knowing. Um, I remember feeling like, you know, dirty, guilty, shame. I, I don't need to exist. Um, I, I would hope that a car would hit me or an illness would take me or I wouldn't wake up. And and until I was able to disclose that um, in junior high and get to counseling and to be able to have somebody support me. Um, and that's when I said, you know, wow, this person and the support of counselors, uh, you know, throughout my life, before I decided to study um, counseling, I just said, I think, I, I think I know what I want to do, because it, it almost feels like it's not the traditional, you'll be okay, you know, um, you don't have to talk about it, no one knows, it, it was, you know, that's what family is going to say, but I needed more than that, because it was just so deep-rooted and so much hurt, and then I was born, with half a year on my left side. So having this, you know, defect and just everything that dysfunction of that and those surgeries and, and feeling like an alien and just, um, and then losing my grandpa um, that was very close to him and then losing my aunt. That was one of my favorite aunts to cancer. So it just feels like, I remember for myself as a child, every time I wanted to get back up and keep going and like life just would knock me down again and knock me down and knock me down. And you just eventually just feel like, I don't know what more I have to give. And if this is life, I don't want to live it. And so, you know, um, I did have a suicide attempt at 18 and um, I tried to overdose. And uh, I'm so glad that, you know, It was not my time. And that was not the answer. And through that recovery is where I was like, no, instead of sabotaging myself, I want to learn about this. I want to go get educated about this. And I want to be able to help people. And I think when you have that experience, you can help people and they feel very connected to you because I'm not having to tell them what I've been through, but they were like, wow, you really do understand. And yes, I do. Because and if I can recover, I want to encourage them and I want to help them get back to their lives and feel fulfilled because we are given this life not to suffer. We're given this beautiful life so that we can be amazing and, you know, and that we can just, you know, just feel like accomplished and and just feel like we are, you know, this beautiful human being and and we deserve to be able to, to live that life.
0: My heart is with yours and goes out to you on your life experience. And I feel like that is an origin story to be shared of shielding hearts. And I don't recall reading any of that on your website. So I just wanted to uh, encourage you to share that story uh, because I love that image of you as the little girl, that you are the little girl in your logo. I think that's beautiful. And, Thank you. Um,
1: and I appreciate you um, giving me that suggestion, Victoria. I'm just, I think I felt like if I were to put that on the website, I didn't want it to be about me. No, I wanted it to be about the help. And so now that you've given me you know, that feedback, it makes it feel, no, it's not about you. It's about being, having people to understand why you cared so much. Why you wanted to make a difference because you personally have been affected by it, and so I will definitely have to um, uh, bring that to everybody's attention
0: and, and do an update to the website. Definitely, I mean that that I didn't know that that was you, the little girl, and so I think that's a beautiful, like I said, it's a beautiful origin story of your full circle life. Because had that suicide attempt been successful. There would be no shielding hearts right that is correct you wouldn't have impacted over 700 children that's important thank you uh what is the difference do you feel between because i think it's important in distinct in sharing the distinction of how the hearts matter project is different in that it includes evidence, evidence-based content, right, of, you know, the Helping Children with Loss Program. How have you felt in your training personally, like the training that you were going through, you got your master's in clinical psychology, but you actually went, even with the knowledge that you had, you went through the grief recovery method. And I just, for people listening, I just want to want you to share why that was so impactful and why that was different than any training that you had received and why as a someone who was training as a clinical psychologist, you felt that that was important for you to experience.
1: I had never experienced the opportunity to obtain the apologies that I deserved. And that changed everything for me. You know, the person who sexually abused me as a family member he went on to marry, have daughters. I, I always cringed when I knew, you know, I, you know, he's living his life like if, like if he didn't, he's done nothing wrong. And that has always killed me to be around family members and to hear his name spoken and what he's doing, because I'm like, you don't know what monster this person is and what he robbed of me, my innocence. And I had never really fully recovered until I, I did this work at you know the grief recovery method and my training and to be able to he's not going to surface he's not going to reflect and he's not going to redeem himself in this lifetime with me and knock on my door and and beg for forgiveness that's not going to happen so being able to hear that apology that i deserved and that i desired allowed me to be at peace with it and i just felt empowered i felt just ready to just take this on and and just start thinking like, how can I have others do this? And so that's when I was just really determined um, once I acquired those skills. And I love being able to do that in my private practice. When grievers reach out to me and they say, what will be different with this program than any other program? And I explained to them, you are going to feel acknowledged. You are going to obtain um, these coping skills and learn a method That is really going to help you heal and to be able to help you recover. It's not about a quick fix, about putting a Band-Aid on it. Let's have the emotional wound. Let's heal once and for all so that you can feel, you know, compelled to want to get back to your life because they do. They feel like they're stuck. They feel like they're that hamster on that wheel. It's okay. And then sometimes it gets bad and then it's okay. And then sometimes it gets bad. And I'm like, let's get off the wheel. Cause that's not where you belong. And so being able to do that in my office,
0: I, I, I love it. Same. It is the most rewarding work that I have ever, ever done in my life as well. I, yeah, wholeheartedly 1000% agree because being a child of sexual trauma abuse too, you will never get that apology. And and oftentimes, too, and especially if someone who has died, of course, you will never, right? Like, so we we take this anger and we just, we seethe inside. And this work really helps to soften, soften our hearts.
1: And not just with grief and loss. I've now convinced the district that I'm at right now to let me work with the children that are demonstrating some inappropriate behaviors and so you know they get to come to the program and come to find out that the disruption in their life is divorce big sister big brother moving away to college right you know moving uh, from a house to an apartment because of financial hardship And so I'm like, let me allow, let me give these children an opportunity to process this. This could not have been easy for them. You know, it's not that they're ungrateful. It's not that they're ill-mannered. They're hurting. They want to know how is it that one day I had a family dynamic and togetherness and now it's split. And this just catapults them into this, you know, uh, just this emotional roller coaster and they want it to stop. So I'm so glad that I'm able to to work with those teens that are on probation maybe did something on social media that they didn't have no idea how that would affect them never wanted to be on probation and in the juvenile detention program and so being able to give these children these skills is it's it's amazing because I don't want them to be walking around with that anger and that unresolved hurt. And so I've really advocated for that as well. So the program, when counselors or teachers say, but I thought you were just grief and loss. A child, anytime they experience any type of disruption, that is grief. It does not have to be just because it's due to them burying somebody. It is their heart experiencing that hurt, not having any reference
0: to it. What just happened to me? That is grief and And trauma for them. And that is a huge part of our work, isn't it? Is just the yes. education of of correcting that misinformation that grief is just about loss, which we know it is not, right? We no, as an not. adult, you go through a divorce. Well, of course you have grief with that, you know. <laughs> What's who then? Why is it not normal that a child would experience grief as well? So, thank you for mentioning that. And I feel like that is a great way. To conclude, I feel like it was a very good point you made. I love what you've created and and it is my hope that it expands and it just continues to grow. And is there anything else that you would like to share about Shielding Hearts or about the Hearts Matter Project or anything else that you would like that you didn't get to?
1: No, I feel very comfortable with being able to explain uh, the journey, the concept and who we are today and i have a really great board that believes in the program and like i said it's just being able to just tackle this one day at a time and i'm not i'm i'm going to stay determined that's what got me here. I'm going to stay determined and just hope that this will grow because it really should be seen as life skills that these kids are just really searching for. They want to be able to feel that they can cope and move on and they deserve that. And so um, that is just my hope that any, any listener today will want to learn more. We'll be able to see what um, resources we offer, the book, the parent guide. Um, and so just Anybody who would love to be able to acquire these skills, we are here to support you. So it is only in person, the curriculum, correct? No, the curriculum can be done online. We do have a virtual office and we can be, um, I have been uh, tapped in uh, through video into classrooms and being able to offer this. So we do have
0: that virtual aspect of it as well. Oh, glad I asked. Okay. All right. Well, there you have it. And If people want to learn more about you or about Shielding Hearts, where can they find you and reach out to you?
1: We have it set up on the website. So if they'd like to schedule a consultation and they get to select what area they're interested in, and then uh, we will be more than happy to be in, they, they actually have the calendar on there and the time. And then once they um, are able to do that, then we will be more than happy to follow up and be able to uh, reach out to them and see um, the reason for their inquiry and to be
0: able to see how we can support. But where can they find you? Where can people um, it, find you online?
1: Yes, at www.shieldinghearts.org, and they can also find uh, the book is on uh, SusannaMorrell.com. and there's a link there to purchase the book. It's an e-file, and uh, the curriculum is available for purchase as well. And then once somebody does purchase the curriculum, then we can set up to where they can do the training um, and they can learn how to utilize the modules. And the training is usually about 45 minutes up to an hour and 15 of your time. So any parent, any teacher, any counselor, administrator, anybody working with children or just for personal knowledge to be able to expand on it, to have these uh, new skills, unique skills that are so beneficial, um, then we've been more than happy to set that up as well.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much, Susanna, again, for sharing all that you've created and I love it. I love it so much. So thank you for being here today.
1: Thank you, Victoria.
0: All right. And remember, when you unleash your heart, you unleash your life. Much love. From my heart to yours. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it because sharing is caring. And until next time, give and share compassion by being a heart with ears. And if you're hurting, know that what you're feeling is normal and natural. Much love, my friend.